Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's July 24th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Michael Warren of The Weekly Standard. So if it's Tuesday, what? Uh, we have uh, new debates about tariffs, and the president is threatening to revoke the security clearance of people who've criticized him. I guess, Michael, you have a piece about this up on the, uh, on the, on the site um, called Security Clearance Theater. Give me your take on all of this. The, I mean, clearly the, the White House uh, wants this to be the, the talking point of the day, that they're talking about pulling the clearances of Jim Comey, Clapper, Hayden, Rice, and McCabe. Well, and so. John Brennan as well, who's, who's, the, Brennan, who's the one who sort of started this. And, you know, Charlie, I'm, I'm sort of loath to, to even give it oxygen because it is, as you say, so clearly something the White House wants to talk about instead of, I don't know, anything else. Um, I'm glad you said that because it does, it does feel like the squirrel of the day, right? Right. Let, let, let's talk about anything other than that Russia fiasco. So we'll, we'll rattle sabers with Iran and we'll threaten to pull security clearances and get the cable talking heads talking about it. Trust me, nobody woke up in Wisconsin, you know, thinking, oh my goodness, you know, are they really going to pull the security clearance <laughs> from, you know, James Clapper? Well, um, the reason that I, I did want to write about it and talk about it here on the podcast is because um, I had done some reporting about this issue about a year ago, and I, I did a little more reporting for this piece. And it's something that's interesting, and it's one of those things that uh, is kind of opaque to people who are not um, familiar with or, or certainly served in uh, positions in government where you need a security clearance at, at a high level uh, or where you might uh, maintain one after you leave government. So I thought it was – Well, this it was, is why I wanted to talk to you exactly. about it. I wanted to become smarter about it. Let's, well, let's put well, there the, let's you go. Put the meat on the bones. So, so this all came about because I guess Rand Paul, who is uh, doing his level best uh, to, to up his uh, uh, Trump – Trumpiness level by uh, uh, replacement. Um, I think what, I can't remember exactly what it was called. Um, uh, he's he he basically suggested that John Brennan, the former CIA director under under Obama, who went off last week about how Trump was uh, committing treason and all this stuff, um, that he should uh, he's uh, monetizing his security clearance by quote divulging secrets to the mainstream media. And I guess what he's talking about is Brennan is an NBC News contributor. And so thereby he's possibly divulging secrets. It's interesting. Rand Paul never actually uh, accuses Brennan of doing it. He just suggests that it's possible and that his security clearance ought to be revoked uh, to remove all That's doubt. actually a serious charge, of course, you know, that he's divulging secrets. I mean, you no, know, I think it's understandable that you would criticize Brennan for, you know, using the word treason. Yeah. But. I don't I haven't seen any evidence that any of these individuals have, in fact, divulged secrets. No one has made that charge with the exception of sort of the drive by by Rand Paul. That's right. And, and of oh. course, it doesn't really matter if you have a security clearance or not. I mean, it, it, it is still illegal and a very big deal if you divulge secrets that you have, whether or not you have the security clearance at the moment or not. So that doesn't, it's, it's sort of a, well, it's a red herring. So anyway, the question is asked at the briefing yesterday, Sarah Sanders responds, uh, not only in a way that I think surprised everybody, just because it, it seemed to have come out of nowhere. Not only is the president looking to take away Brennan's security clearance, she said, he's also looking into the clearances of Comey, Clapper, Hayden, Rice, and McCabe. It was like, whoa, what? What is this? What, where did this come from? Um, and 
And so, I mean, some of those people, like uh, James Comey and uh, Andrew McCabe, the deputy FBI director, former FBI deputy director, Mm -hmm. they don't even have security clearances anymore, according to them. Um, So, um, Another proposal not perhaps thoroughly vetted. Right. but And, and of course, the White House says they're just looking at it. This is kind of what they say when they um, either don't want to answer a question um, or they sort of want to stir things up but don't necessarily have a – have a plan to move forward. So they're, they're considering it. So then everybody sort of put their hair on fire. Um, and I just thought, well, this is interesting because we've gone through this before where a question of one of those people, actually, Susan Rice, mm-hmm. um, had her, she was the national security advisor under President Obama, was involved in all that unmasking stuff at the end of the Obama administration um, that a lot of conservatives were really upset with her about. And of course, her role in, in, in the Benghazi talking points. Um, she has a security clearance still, and it was in fact renewed under the Trump administration by one of her successors, H.R. McMaster. And there was a big controversy about this about a year ago because McMaster had some people gunning for him, the sort of Steve Bannon wing of the – by then I think Bannon had left or was about to leave the White House. But Steve Bannon and and some of the sort of ultra-MAGA people were saying that McMaster was not thoroughly uh, loyal to President Trump. And here's a perfect example. He renewed Susan mm-hmm. Rice's security clearance. Well, I talked to somebody at the White House at the time who said this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. This is not the same security clearance that she had while she was working here. He extended this for all the past uh, uh, national security advisors, and it's really kind of a boring, prosaic reason. It's if if we need to bring in these past officials to ask them questions. Hey, there's some documents that happened under your watch that we need to know more about. You can't legally ask those former officials unless they still have a very basic level security clearance. And so it's kind of a, it's actually to help the people in power to have those people out of office. And you point out that this is a longstanding practice, right? In in, in fact, it would have been more unusual to revoke Rice's uh, security clearance. That's right. Now, that doesn't mean – and I talked to somebody – I talked to uh, Eric Edelman who's a former uh, diplomat. He was uh, a U.S. ambassador to Turkey. He was Dick Cheney's national security advisor essentially when he was vice president um, and worked at uh, at the Department of Defense. and, and he pointed out to me, look, it's, it's not as if a security clearance is uh, a right if you're an ex-official. I mean, there, there may right. be a very good reason to revoke it or, um, you know, what a lot of these people do is um, they either consult uh, – after they leave government, they consult either um, sort of uh, uh, gratis. You know, they sort of come in and uh, unpaid consultants um, like what I just sort of uh, mentioned with the possibility of Susan Rice or they even sort of set up business essentially and they use a security clearance. The security clearance is – in and of itself is not very useful in determining what somebody knows or has access to. It's yeah, a very now, general this term. Is, this is what this was what was unclear in a lot of the coverage that I think you did make clear that basically it says you're eligible if they call you up and they want to have the conversation. It does not mean that you're receiving regular top secret security briefings. No, it, and you wouldn't be. And and th- why would you be? I mean, right. it, it, it's one of these things that is more a sort of CYA. Um, uh, designation, right? You want to make sure that any conversation you have with these people, you're not forcing them to violate the law by by answering them. So, but but look, I mean, 
it, there may be a good reason to take somebody's security clearance away. And I'm not saying that um, John Brennan deserves one. I don't really know if he necessarily does. It's He's uh, he's not exactly a Boy Scout uh, when it comes to dealing with sensitive information. If you read anything that we've written, um, you know, our editor-in-chief, Stephen Hayes, has written about um, the bin Laden documents. Uh, you know, another one of those guys, James Clapper. I mean, these people have uh, – they're not saints and they don't necessarily it's, – it's a privilege, not a right. So that maybe there's a reason um, to revoke their security clearance. But it seems to me that the White House's reasoning on this, it, to, such as there is a reasoning, is that they've been uh, – these people are publicly critical of Trump. Well, that that's a pretty piss poor reason <laughs> to revoke somebody's security clearance. Uh, but but and, it seems it, kind of typical. I mean, it, yeah, you know, it, totally. it, I heard a reporter saying that this is really not surprising. This is something. This is this is a Trumpian thing he does. He revokes things. You know, when if if uh, if a newspaper writes something critical, you you might you know revoke their press credentials, or you you look for uh, points of leverage to take things away. So in a lot of ways, this is not really a one off. No, it's and but also in in many ways as well, it's something he's probably not going to follow through on. I mean, this is kind of ridiculous um, uh, bait for for both. I would say both sides, both his side and kind of bait the mainstream media into going, "What are you doing? You're crazy!" Um, and to get the MAGA crowd to say, "Yeah, why why do these people why do these people deserve security clearances?" Well, there 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 actually is a kind of a a couple of boring reasons why, um, and uh, and this is probably not going to go anywhere. And look. We've already spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about something that's not going to go anywhere. This is well, like well, the I, well, typical of the Trump administration. Now, now, you quote – I'm looking for the first name here. Um, Edelman? First yeah, name, yeah Edelman. Eric Edelman, yeah. Yeah, um, and basically makes the point that you just made this important. You know, Maintaining a clearance is a privilege, not a right, but it ought to be determined by the needs of the government institutionally and questions of personal reliability, which is why we have periodic security updates – not whether or not one toes the line and criticizes the president. Well, there you yeah, go. Yeah, I mean that 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 puts it in in some in some context. Is there any you know I I, I see some speculation online and social media because social media that's what it does it speculates um, that there might be some legal impediment to the president pulling the security clearance. My guess would be that if he did in fact follow through, that there wouldn't be you know that there would not be grounds. Or legal challenge, or am I wrong about that? Uh, you know, I, I'm because gonna, as you point out, it is a privilege, not a right. I'm going to do something uh, rare in our business, Charlie, and say I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I, I don't know if it's ever been challenged. I, I imagine you, um, you, you could have grounds if you have a if you have business, for instance, uh, and and you could show that um, what what uh, that 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 revocation was done out of sort of malice and spite and not not for any sort of reason that was in the interest of the of the government but the other thing that that does happen and this is this is just kind of the way it works in government is um, people will have, you know, I talked to a few people who have security clearance, who do some consultancy work and sort of out of political spite, they have that consultancy uh, sort of taken away from them. That's not the whole security clearance, but sort of what they use that clearance for, the work they they do. Um, you know, you get somebody in from the other side, from the other party uh, who doesn't like you hanging around and doing your consultancy work, you can have that revoked. And there's not really much you can do about that. Um, so it, it would strike me that was, there would not be much grounds for, um, for suing. But I, I mean, I, yeah. I just don't know. 
Well, you uh, in, in in your piece, you cite a a um, a tweet from Bradley Moss, who does know a lot about this stuff, and he has a piece up at Lawfare Blog. Can the president revoke former official security clearances? And it's a it's a it's a long and detailed piece that that basically concludes it depends. Right. And there are a number of grounds. It, it's it's not a slam dunk one way or another. So if people really want to know the answer to that, uh, Bradley Moss over at Lawfare blog.com. Okay, the other story uh, that is breaking, even as you and I are speaking, um, the administration is apparently um, readying a plan for some sort of a bailout for farmers who are negatively impacted by the tariffs. A $12 billion package. Uh, uh, the money would be distributed in a variety of ways. This comes the day. I don't have it right in front of me. What, what did uh, President Trump tweet out about tariffs? Tariffs are hunky-dory. Tariffs are great. Tariffs are wonderful. Something like that. Oh, yeah. Tar- tariffs are great. And I I know that you didn't know that. And it's a good thing that we have the president to remind us. The the, the tweet was tariffs are the greatest. Either the greatest. A, that's right. Greatest. Either, either a country which has treated the United States unfairly on trade negotiates a fair deal or it gets hit with tariffs. It's as simple. It's as simple, Charlie, as that. And everybody's talking. It's like a little Harry Nelson there. Uh, remember, we are the piggy bank that's being robbed. All will be great. That's now, about, the president this yeah. morning. Now, about five weeks ago, you wrote a piece which has aged very, very well, talking about what President Trump understands about uh, trade and what he doesn't understand. Tariffs are taxes. They are sales taxes. They are sales taxes imposed on American consumers. I kind of wonder whether Donald Trump fully understands that, or whether, or whether a lot of the MAGA crowd that's going, yes, absolutely, let's uh, let's let's uh, impose taxes. I I actually saw you were in a Twitter exchange with with somebody who said, uh, you know, maybe the president ought to be just direct about it, just you know, cancel. Well, what did he write? I'll upon it. Uh, maybe you should just cancel the 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 tax cuts passed by Congress, um, and you start just redistributing the money to businesses and, and industries that, uh, that that you like. But let's go back to your original piece. There's a fundamental flaw here as you read all of the stories about the industries and the workers who are impacted by this this growing trade war who are going, Mr. President, we know that you're trying to help the American economy, but but, you know, do you understand all of the unintended consequences of your action? And you wrote about a little more than a month ago. Apparently not. No. And, and I should add that. I'm not saying that this is something that is intuitive. It's actually counterintuitive. The idea of trade deficits and what, are, are we winning or losing and is a trade deal good for us or not? Um, so I think Trump falls very uh, deep into the well of it, just sort of intuiting this idea that, well, we have a trade deficit. Uh, we have a uh, we 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 export uh, less and we import more. Therefore, that's bad. And that is the result of bad trade deals. Uh, and so we need better trade deals. And the only way to get better trade deals is to threaten to tax uh, those imports uh, that we import from other countries. And in a sort of populist, um, not entirely um, uh, informed view, uh, that kind of makes a little sense. But the truth is, is that it it it, it doesn't really tell you the trade deficit, the the amount that we import versus the amount that we export doesn't really tell you much about the efficacy of a particular trade policy or whether a trade policy is any good or not. Um, and and it's complicated because we hear de- we hear deficit and you think oh wow that's we're in a deficit a budget deficit's bad if i if i'm paying out more than i'm taking in in my own household budget that that's bad um, but it doesn't really work that way because you could describe a trade deficit as 
an investment surplus, that you have um, more investment um, in the United States, um, and and that we are. Um, uh, it's so it's it's this complicated um, sort of trade terminology that I think the president has turned into this idea that we're we're losing, and therefore we must do something to correct. We must it. do something. That's yes. right. Some, something. And, well, and one particular thing, which is uh, threaten tariffs, and that's what he's doing. The problem is it's it creates a trade war, uh, and despite what the president says. Trade wars are not easy to win, and I think we th- this news about these these agriculture subsidies um, are a perfect example. We're going to be spending more taxpayer money to prop up an industry that's being hurt by tariffs from the United States government. I mean, it doesn't. It, it, it sort of it, you're, you're you're starting to you know stack things on top of each other in in a kind of terrible trade jenga uh game that uh, it's all going to come collapsing uh, you know down. I, I was thinking of kind of like a rube goldberg thing you do this over here and then you get this so the the washington post reporting this the, again breaking news here under the white house plan the money will be dispersed in at least three ways coming through direct assistance a food purchase and distribution program and a trade promotion program you know, this is the kind of thing that, that if, if Barack Obama or Bernie Sanders was doing, that conservatives would be screaming bloody murder. Um, you know, that, that you, you, you create damage on the one hand and then you create government handout programs on the other hand. And it's not clear that those programs will, in fact, be effective. No, and, and, and you're sort of devaluing any of the money that you are um, distributing, right? I mean, this is, this is not – this is money – whenever government takes money in these transfer payments, this is a, a very deep sort of conservative argument about transfer payments and, and, and government spending is that government just automatically – takes a chunk of that money, takes a chunk of that value in the, in the, in at the very least in the processing of that money to distribute it out to other people, let alone sort of grift. And, uh, you know, will, will certain farmers in certain States that Trump wants to uh, deliver to be, you know, get more or, or, or get better deals. Um, so you're really sort of, um, adding these problems on top of each other in a way that, again, fundamentally doesn't change the problem if there really is a problem, which I don't think everybody agrees that this, the, certain, the, the, the current trade uh, regime is necessarily a problem. Okay, let's just step back for a moment. I mean, you know, if only, if only our founding fathers, when they were setting up our system of government, had created an alternative to the president being able to unilaterally impose new taxes. You know, if only they would have created, I don't know, a system of checks and balances and, and, and gave the Congress certain powers, you know, maybe even the, like... The, I'm you know, sorry, Char- like Charlie, a, the what? Like, the, the, like the, the, what was that C one. word? What was that C word? Well, Co- con- you, know, I, con- you, can see, you can see how frustrated, you know, Bob <laughs> Corker is about all of this saying, you know, Congress actually has the the constitutional authority to do this, except that, of course, over the years it has ceded so much of its authority to the president. Um, but it is interesting that the sitting chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee is apparently unable to get a, a vote or you know substantive action on, on Congress saying, hey, you know what, um, let's actually have congressional approval before we impose taxes on the American people. Uh, I mean, it, it's one of these things where uh, it, Bob Corker is a perfect example, actually, of the way that Congress ha- sits around and talks about how there are all these problems that um, really Congress needs to be consulted, and these are the and and they they actually have 
all the power here. They have all yes. the power. They have the power of the purse. They have the power of uh, of subpoena. They can uh, Bob Corker could be holding uh, uh, congressional hearings about this uh, and doing all sorts of things. And 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 yet they all they like to talk about how they need all this power. They need all this influence, um, but they never like to exert it. And and I think it's a it's a sort of um, dispersal of of responsibility problem here, where um, he's just one guy and he can kind of throw up his hands. Um, but it, it it's really um, it, it's really dispiriting. And I think all the complaints about the presidency and whether it's Donald Trump or Barack Obama and the white house and all the problems. I mean, let's give uh, uh, Congress some of the blame and maybe a lot of the blame here. Well, yes. I mean, the fact that they've, they've, they've outsourced so much power to the executive branch and then all of this sort of, you know, hand wringing that we can't do anything about this. Really? The, the, the power of the United States Senate is really quite extraordinary uh, if they're willing to do it. And I guess one of the questions I would have, and I, I know that Bob Corker has at least been willing to speak out about this occasionally, you know, when he's going, going back and forth. Yeah, but, when he's not you know, gunning for a position in the Trump administration. But you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Chairman of the, of, of, of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and I wrote this over the weekend. I mean, this is a powerful job. This is the, you know, the, right. the position held by Henry Cabot Lodge and William Fulbright and Arthur Vandenberg and Frank Church. I mean, these guys, you know, use their their position um, to rather dramatically put pressure on the administration. And it's it, it, you would think that if you were just imagine you're a United States senator, you are one of 100 United States senators. You um, are in the majority and a majority of one. The amount of power you have, you know, is is pretty significant. You know, why would you want to be just sort of a footnote? Why would you want to be a potted plant? What is the point of all of that? Well, I think that answers itself. Um we have some other things I want to uh, catch up on, but uh, today's Daily Standard podcast is brought to you by Quip. Truth is that most of us are brushing our teeth wrong, not for long enough. You forget to change your brush on time. That's because most brands focus on selling you flashy gimmicks rather than better brushing, not Quip. So obviously you want to know what makes Quip so different. Well, for starters, Quip is an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of the bulkier brushes while still packing just the right amount of vibrations to help clean your teeth. Its built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist-recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. Uh, Next, Quip's subscription plans are for your health, not just for your convenience. They deliver new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks, including free shipping worldwide. Look, Quip starts at just 25 bucks. And if you get to getquip.com slash standard right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash standard, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash standard. Okay, in the, in the few minutes that we have left, uh, Michael Warren, it's, it's hard to remember that it was just a little over two weeks ago that the president uh, named Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court couple of developments uh, overnight, a new poll out showing that 71% of voters support uh, Roe versus Wade, do not want to see it overturned. This includes a majority of Republicans. And then there are these stories, uh, unearthed um, oppo research, I guess, of of Kavanaugh suggesting or appearing to suggest that the uh, U.S. Supreme Court decision forcing Richard Nixon to turn over the White House tapes was wrongly decided. Do any of these developments change the conventional wisdom that has and continues to assume that Brett Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed? No. Easily? No. No. Why not? 
mean, we, we could end the podcast here. No, I mean, it's it doesn't because um, fundamentally, this is a question about two or three Republican senators, um, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and apparently Rand Paul, who is going around saying, uh, you know, hey, his his vote is still up for grabs. I don't think anybody really buys that. Um, this is like another example of Rand Paul um, sort of pathetically trying to stay relevant and uh, and and he will ultimately cave. Um, but if he doesn't, right, and every, everyone knows that. I mean, the thing about Rand right. Paul is that is that no. Nobody seems to take this seriously. I don't know anyone who, who who honestly thinks that he's going to vote no. Has Rand Paul ever shot a hostage that he's taken? No. Um, and and I think that that after you, look, we all know the boy who cried wolf. Like <laughs> there's nobody believes you anymore. Um, the, I mean, the question has always been uh, really seriously. It was about Collins and Murkowski, and I continue to look at what Collins has said um, really from the beginning, which is she left open a very wide. Uh, uh, opportunity, a door for Kavanaugh to walk through that I think he's going to walk through, which is um, uh, essentially that he is not going to be um, using his own personal views. Um, He's going to be uh, respecting um, past precedent. Um, She did not say that she needs to be, she needs for it to be confirmed that uh, that, you know, in his confirmation hearing, that he would vote a certain way on any given, uh, say, abortion. That's the, really the, the the big issue here on an abortion case. Um, so the, the the answer is right there. We've seen this before. We've heard John Roberts and Sam Alito do it before. Uh, Neil Gorsuch, although it was less of a problem then. Um, I, I just, I mean. It, it, none of this changes anything. And um, the fact that, you know, these kind of I saw, you know, what I saw today, Charlie, I saw Alex Kaczynski, who's that um, former federal judge um, who um, had some real big Me Too problems and stepped down from the bench. Oh, yeah. um, a lot of problems in his past. Um, a story about him giving a couple of interviews recently, including on some California radio station somewhere. And the, 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 it was the Washington Post tried to connect this to Brett Kavanaugh because Kavanaugh was once a uh, clerk for Kaczynski. And uh, they are, as all of these sort of lawyers and judges are, they are in some have some sort of professional friendly relationship. Um, there was no connection to the two at no. all. I mean, that, that to me was like a, a big flag that said this, they've got nothing and, 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 and Kavanaugh is almost, almost certain to get through. Yeah, and um, also I, I, these, the stories that I continue to read about the pressure being put on Democratic senators in these red states to vote for Kavanaugh, uh, you know, don't underestimate the amount of pressure on Heidi Heitkamp and you know, and Don, Joe Donnelly um, and Joe Manchin to vote for them. I, I think it's more likely that these Democrats are going to end up voting for him than any of the Republicans are going to vote against him. And uh, I'm looking at the Weekly Standard swing seat model, which is fascinating. And uh, today still has Republicans with a 72.4% chance of holding the Senate. Um, I'm not sure that uh, the, the, the folks really realize how, how overwhelming that uh, the possibility is right now. Michael Warren, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again. <laughs>